The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. And that's because the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe has some great features like the available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads, and much, much more. So think about those places that you want to go, the things that you'd like to do this weekend and where the Santa Fe can take you. Learn more about the all new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. And welcome back to the First Cup Podcast with Kyle Porter. That's Kyle Porter. I'm Chip Patterson. And Kyle, we are uh, continuing our coverage, counting down to the Masters. The uh, The Dell Technologies match play is is underway this morning. And I'm, I'm sure that when, uh, when, when I'm back from the East Regional in Washington, D.C., we'll have plenty to re- recap from... Uh, so let's see whoever got eviscerated in group play and, ha- and has to to pick up all their respect from uh, from all across Austin Country Club. But uh, how are you doing at this time? Is all of your master's content close to turned in at this point? It's getting there. I, I'm about to wrap up. It, it's kind of it's kind of weird because you don't want to write it too far in advance, right? Because there's still things that can happen, like Rory winning every hole at match play this week or something. Possible, um, but. You also want it, to, it's, it's, I don't know, it's kind of tricky. It's a, it's a very first world problem, but it's, it's difficult to determine when to turn in my master's content so I can actually travel to the master's. Well, the, the history stuff is one of the reasons why people love Augusta National, why they love uh, the master's. So we thought it would be fun uh, to take a trip down some of the most unique facts uh, in, from the tournament and the championship in itself, its history, and uh, and how how different golfers have performed at the course, um, and the tidbits from within the libraries. and And Kyle, you've you've done the uh, the legwork here, so I'm I'm gonna let you uh, I'm gonna let you take the lead on this ten facts, and uh, and let's let's dig into it. Yeah, so I've got uh, I think I've got. 20 or 25 right now I was kind of putting together what I thought was going to be like 18 facts about the masters and this is a very it's kind of a it's it's sort of a random list it's it's essentially all the uh cutting room floor stuff that uh that I was researching uh in in kind of prepping for this year's Masters. so it's just not cutting room floor but just like these leftovers that kind of stood out so I've tweeted a few of these out. I've pulled from books. I've pulled from masters.com. I've, um, submerged myself in Wikipedia. I've, I've picked up stuff from the, uh, master's media guide. It's kind of all over the place, but, uh, there's definitely some interesting things that stand out. So I'm just going to, I'm going to give you 10 just kind of at random. And, uh, we're going to start with, uh, a point. So, so this is something that I tweeted out and I thought it was super interesting just because of kind of recent history. A player has won their first masters, uh, in every number of try from one to 15. So a player, so there's been a golfer that's won on their first try. Uh, there's been golfers that have won on their second, third, fourth, all the way to 15. Nobody's won in their 16th, 17th or 18th try, but Sergio won in his 19th try, right? which is, which to me is, is super interesting. And the most common uh, winning uh, attempts, I guess, in, in winning your first Masters 
was, uh, I think third and fourth, they both had eight winners. So that's kind of like the, the, the most, you know, that's, like, that's, that, that's statistically a sweet spot where yeah. if, if you get there and let's, you know, unpacking it, you get there, you get a look at the course, you get a feel for the rhythm of the week, um, for what it's going to be like out there. And then if, if, if you were playing at the masters, we assume you were one of the world's best golfers. And after a couple of tries, you're able to capitalize on it. And maybe, maybe what goes into that is being a little bit too, uh, not young, but a little bit, at least masters and experienced so that you're not feeling uh, the weight of having been there without winning, right? Yeah, for sure. Uh, I mean, yeah, it, it's definitely, I think that third and fourth is a sweet spot. There's only been eight golfers that have won their first Masters in their 11th try or or more. So 11, 12, 13, and so on. Uh, and this is uh, this is Rory's 11th Masters. Which which is interesting, and I think we talked about this a couple episodes ago. But it, it's you know, like you have to have been really good at a young age to play an eleven Masters by the time you're twenty nine. Which also but, explains Sergio, right? Yeah, for yeah. sure, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. If if you are if you are playing, and you know, like if uh, what was did Jordan win in his first or his second Masters? He won, I believe, he didn't win first because the last first-time winner was Fuzzy Zeller in 1979. I think I think Spieth was uh, second. I think his first one was, uh, it might have been third. But my, my point being that if Spieth doesn't win uh, and, and he's you know still there playing, the fact that he had been invited and played in all those Masters probably puts him on a little bit of a different, more of a Sergio Rory track uh, than a player who plays his first Masters at 27. For sure. Yeah, no, uh, Spieth, Spieth, I believe his first was in 14 when he finished right behind Bubba, and then he wanted in his second try in 2015. Do so. you, all right, do you know what try it was when Phil Mickelson broke through? Do you have it pulled up? I don't. <laughs> I think Phil and Adam Scott were both on their 12th try. Mm. And this is Rory's so, 11th? This is Rory's 11th. Mm, not going to be the year. Go ahead and sign me up for 2020. <laughs> Did you see some of his quotes? Not to deviate too much, but some of his quotes from match play. Rory? Yeah, it's pretty interesting. Uh-oh. I, I don't like the tone I, of your voice. I haven't seen the quotes. No, 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 Tell, no, hit no, me with I, them. Okay. I loved it. I got a couple of them highlighted here. He said, I would have said a couple of years ago, I need to win a Masters. I need a green jacket. Whereas now it's, I want to, I want to win it. I would love to win it. But if I don't, I'm okay. And I think that's the difference. Yeah. I mean, I think, I don't think that's super interesting. I think, <laughs> you know, like I'm, all right. Like, like there's a difference between me uh, enjoying Rory's emotional depth and me just being like, all right, cool. You're mature, whatever. So, so he says, so knowing nine times out of 10, you're going to fail. You know that that's pretty freeing. That's freedom. So I'm going to try my ass off here. I think he's talking about match play and I'm probably not going to win, but as long as you can take the positives from it and move on to the next tournament and the next tournament and the next tournament and keep going. Uh, and then he says some more stuff about Augusta. He also said, 
Um, oh, the other thing he said, uh, it's not being defined by your wins and losses. Sort of what we talked about after the players. That's the secret of being freed up. It's not buying into narratives and living and dying with every tournament or every shot. I think that's very important. I think that that kind of um, stability probably is great in an individual sport. I think it would fail terribly in a team sport. How so? Uh, I think that you you really do have to have the losing is not acceptable. It's not what I was made to do mentality with a team sport. Yeah, it, but I think, I mean, there's a difference like when you're the, the you know, whoever, Charlotte Hornets, and you're like, we need to win like 60% of our games to get to the playoffs versus when you're Rory and you lose so much. I mean, you lose 90% of the time. Right. If you, if you lose 90% of the time, you're one of the best ever. That's kind of the clip that he's lost at. So I think I think from that, I think yeah, I think it's very different, and which is what you're saying, right? Yeah, yeah. just totally. It's it's just so funny because the um, the speaking to like the the college basketball coaches, the most successful ones, like they, it the idea of losing never enters the mindset or at least the messaging to the team. You know, they're just like, no, 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 you were made for this moment, and you're going to go win this game. This is how this is going to happen. Now go do it. And that's who do you ha- who do you have in DC, by the way? Uh, Mike Shashevsky, Tom Izzo, the ghost of Will Wade, and Buzz Williams. <laughs> the ghost of Will. <laughs> I wanted Bu- I wanted Buzz Williams in Stillwater. I think he's I think he's awesome. He is awesome. Um, okay, number two, we've got uh, which way should we go here? Okay, uh, so Jack Nicholas unsurprisingly holds the record for most cuts made at 37. Uh, that's, that's not really the crazy part. The crazy part is that this number 37 cuts made is seven more than the second most, which is Gary player at 30. So how many cuts missed does he have? He doesn't have that many because he stopped playing at a pretty young age. And he like didn't miss a cut when he was like I've got his 1960s and 1970s pulled up. He missed one cut mm. and one and he won five times and had uh, 10, 16 top tens in those two decades. Goodness gracious! See that's and yeah. like and that's one of those. Um, that's that's one of those for Jack Nicholas too, where the. The dominant the dominance across the sixties and seventies at the major championships is the crux of the argument for the GOAT debate, right? Uh yes. The his nineteen seventies Wikipedia page is the GOAT debate. The fact that, that it's all uh top tens and wins. Yeah, he has so his nineteen seventies at the majors, he played in all of them, so that's forty. He had uh threes eight wins and five finishes outside the top 10 outside that means one, all of the rest of them were inside the top 10 yeah one miscut yeah Stupid. i mean that's that's the that's the whole debate he missed uh so he played until 2005 he missed three four five um he missed six cuts ever at the masters no seven he missed one as an amateur I also so, like so so forty four tournaments thirty seven made cuts seven miscuts yeah that's that's what I was thinking is like the the other side of that for 
um, just just trying to put in perspective what 37 made cuts at the Masters looks like is that you were uh, you were playing you were playing on the weekend for almost four decades. That's insane in a professional <laughs> sports career. It's cra- it's crazy. And and one of the one of the best parts is so 98. This is one of my favorite things ever. 98. And I went back and read the Rick Riley story on it because it, it's it's ludicrous. He's 58 years old and Tiger had just I mean obviously just burned it down in 97, one by 12 over Tom Kite. This I think this is in my facts. We'll make this number 3. Um 98, Jack Nicklaus beats Tiger Woods at the 98 Masters. He's 58. He finished T6. And he went out uh, that day, that Sunday. And I think he he played the front in like 31 or something. And people were, I mean, if you, you, you should go back and read the Rick Riley thing. Because uh, it's awesome. And... Uh, he did. He just. I think he played the back in like 35 or 36. Like he just didn't make a putt on the back, but he finished T6 to uh, to Marco Mira, and I think he lost by four, three or four. It's 58. I mean, it's one thing to do it at, at an open where you can kind of, you know, meander around, but at Augusta, the year after Tiger did what he did, it's crazy. The um two two things about that. Number one, I do love from from that piece. Tiger admitting that he was having to back off of balls because of mm. roars that he was hearing elsewhere. Uh, and then the other thing, and I, I hope I'm not uh, ripping from from another one of your master's facts, but I had, I had forgotten that it when Tiger burned it all down in 1997, it was after he, sh- he shot a 40 on the front nine on Thursday. Yeah. Like, like that's got to be in master's history. Like, one obviously Tiger's ninety seven is like a huge Masters history moment, but even within that win, I didn't have the the recognition of the details of the tournament at the time, and I'm I'm really only only realizing now that so that is basically from from like a front nine to like turn it around the rest of the way. That's got to be one of the most insane one eighties to go from the forty on the front nine on Thursday and then just go and blitz it the rest of the way. Yeah, he went forty thirty on the first day to shoot to shoot seventy, which which is uh, which is just it's awesome, right? And he did he didn't uh, and this will this will be number four. So this is another one I have in there. He didn't make a bogey. Tiger didn't make a bogey on the back nine on the second nine in ninety seven. None. Thirty six holes, no bogeys. He had uh, he played him in sixteen under, so he had twelve birdies two eagles and 22 pars. It's the most cliche. I mean, it's not the most cliche because it's the, the final nine holes, but I mean, I, the, the, the first nine is slept on for sure, but man, there's just so many scoring opportunities and so many fun holes on the back nine that that's like, that's, that is what memories of iconic masters moments look like for the most part. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, and we do that with every event, right? Like, who, does anybody? And, and it, it, it's it's hard because you you notice this, I think, more when you're writing about it and talking about it. Like, all anybody talks about is the last three holes of a tournament, right? And it, and when you get to the Masters, it extends to like six or nine or whatever. But nobody nobody talks about the front nine. 
except at Augusta. But but even there, it's not really talked about that much, just because there's not. I don't know. Just because you—that's not where the tournament is, quote unquote, won on a Sunday. Even though it is, it could be won there on a Friday, you know. Right. But you just—it's just the nature of like the way it's set up. I think. Well, I think it's. This isn't one of my facts, but they the the nines used to be the other way at Augusta. Imagine that. What if what if you were playing? What if you had it the other way? Imagine how much more interesting two would be. How much more interesting eight? The eighth hole would be the par five uphill. Think That'd be about crazy. yeah, but think about how awful that start is. What do you mean, like just difficult? Yeah, yeah. Hi, yeah. welcome to Augusta National. Here's a punch in the face. <laughs> uh, Nicholas went out in thirty three in ninety eight. Uh, he shot thirty five on the back mm. on, on the second nine. Mm. Um. Hey, listeners. The madness is here and we're a step closer to one shining moment and the best place to stay on top of all NCAA tournament coverage, that's CBS Sports HQ. What is CBS Sports HQ? I mean, you know it. We're on it all the time. It's the free 24-hour streaming sports network that's built for fans like you and me and Kyle and everybody else. You'll find all the latest tournament coverage, including updates from me at Washington, D.C., Matt Norlander at Louisville, and more from around the country. Uh, Tons of highlights, analysis, and stats. It's everything you need to know about what happened in the game without any of the yelling, without any of the fake debates, or any of the politics that you'll find on other sports networks. If you like listening to me on this podcast, you'll love catching me or Kyle on CBS Sports HQ. Uh, Tune in from now until the Nets are cut down in Minneapolis for winning picks and bets from our college basketball experts. CBS Sports HQ, it's always on and it's always free. Download the CBS Sports app on your phone, Fire TV, Roku, or Apple TV to watch today. Okay, I've got uh, I've got some scoring numbers here. What are, we're on number five, I think. Yes. Okay, so do you know what the highest score to ever win a Masters is? One over. Yeah, I think you looked at this document, didn't you? <laughs> I did. <laughs> I did. <laughs> <laughs> so it's only happened. It's only happened three times in which one over, or in which a score over par has won the Masters. It happened in 1954, Sam Snead. 1956, uh, Jack Burke Jr., and then Zach Johnson did it in my first Masters to attend in 2007. That was not the best introduction to the Masters. Zach Johnson winning at 289. Right. Uh, I went with my dad, and it was still like the best, one of the best memories ever, but it was not a, it was cold, and it was Zach Johnson laying up on par fives to win a green jacket. Uh, not, not ideal. But, uh, you know, I, I think that it sort of speaks to like the, the, and, and I'm, I'm so, I'm kind of become obsessed with like, what's the statistical profile of, of like how you win the masters. And traditionally it's certainly not by laying up on par fives. You know, it is, it is, it is <laughs> and, distance and relying on those nasty chip shots. Yeah, it's yeah, it's length. It's not wedge play. It's it's short and long iron play, and so I, I I think you have to look at that Zach Johnson win and say, is that how a Kevin Kisner wins the Masters? Is that how a, a Jim Furyk's a bad example just because he's kind of past 
where we would consider him a real candidate, but somebody like him who's a short hitter, is that how they win them? Is that the only way somebody like that wins the Masters is is you get bad weather and it's cold and, and it kind of knocks these other guys out of it? It's it's kind of, I don't know, it's kind of interesting. I I was trying to, when I, when I, I mean, I looked at the doc. We, we've been talking about this show for a while, so I wanted to uh, brush up on the information. And, and I was trying to play out in my head what uh, any any higher winning score would look like. And it's just, there are so many opportunities and the golfers are so good that it has to take um, a, like horrendous playing conditions to imagine there being any kind of over par winner here. Or even like, like, I don't even know if one under or two under seems like a, a reasonable, a, uh, a reasonable final score to expect from the masters in 2019. I just, you know that the, those two combinations, the, the players are too good, and there's too many scoring opportunities. Well, it, it really is interesting because even it, the the course, and this is this is tied to its roots in Scotland, and also tied to the fact that it's a great course. Is that if if you get if you get bad weather, I mean, I was there in sixteen. In uh, yeah, sixteen, we get Rory Spieth final pairing on Saturday, and it's cold, it's windy, it's kind of nasty, and you see Rory go seventy-seven, and it felt like Spieth won the tournament with like a seventy-three. Mm, you know, and, yeah. and so you and so you you start to, you, but but this the winning number Danny Willett on Sunday was still five under, and so it's you almost have to get four straight days of that to get a winning number over par, but, uh, you do see guys really struggle at this course because of the precision necessary from distance, uh, whenever the weather's kind of bad, whenever it's, whenever it's blowing a little bit. And I love that. I think that's great. I think that's, you know, you, you talk to people that are like steeped in course architecture and and they talk about how that's the sign of a great course. That's what we see at St. Andrews. That's what we see at, you know, a lot of places in Scotland like that. Mm. All right. What's uh, what's our next? Actually, uh, we'll, we'll continue to keep this fact train rolling right after this. It's a really fine line creating workout clothes that are great in the gym and workout clothes that are also great to look at outside the gym. And Viore has threaded that needle. They are designed to work out in, but they don't look like it. They don't feel like it. And it's incredibly comfortable stuff, whether you are running, training, swimming, doing yoga, running errands, lounging around the house. It really doesn't matter. These are versatile clothes. You'll find me often in the men's Sunday performance jogger because I I like the jogger situation that goes on down at the bottom, but they're very comfortable. Uh, They've got a little bit of a shorter inseam, so they're not as bulky as as other pants or other joggers that I have seen out there, and I've really enjoyed how they work both in and out of the gym. So now, here's what you can do for four our listeners. Uh, first-time purchasers are getting 20% off. All you have to do is go to viori.com slash first. That's V-U-O-R-I.com slash first. Again, Not only will you receive 20% off your first order, but enjoy free shipping on any U.S. orders over $75. And here's my favorite part, free returns. Yeah, go check it out. Viore.com slash first and discover the versatility of Viore clothing. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. 
you can earn four times points on your top two eligible spending categories every month, like transit, U.S. restaurants, and gas stations. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Four times points on up to $150,000 in purchases per year. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. All right, what's next? So I got another Jack Nicholas one for you. It's number six. Jack Nicholas holds the record for wins, six. Top fives, he's got 15. Top tens, he's got 22. And top 15s, he's got 29. Here are the runners up in those categories. So wins, it's Arnold Palmer and Tiger Woods. Mm, uh, average top, golfers. Top, yeah. Top fives, it's Phil and Tiger. Top tens, it's Ben Hogan and Sam Snead. Or excuse me, uh, top tens, it's Ben Hogan. And top 15s, it's Sam Snead. So he basically has taken five of the best golfers ever and, and beat them in every way you can at Augusta National. And so the point, the point for me is like, he might not be the best ever, but he's the best ever at Augusta. That's a good way to, that's a good way to address the argument. Yeah. Like, and and part of it, part of its longevity, right? Like Tigers missed a lot of masters. Yeah. He doesn't have 37 made cuts. No. And he won't. I don't think, I don't, I don't think, I don't think he'll get there. I don't think that'll happen. Um, all right. What's next? Uh, we've got, I've got a lot of Jack Nicholas on here. Um, so do you, can you get, you know, you've already seen all this, uh, which pretend like you haven't seen it. This is number seven. Which hole do you think has had just one ace in its history? Oh, I, I don't know this. Um, so there's, so there's four par threes. You got uh, number four, you got number six, you got 12 and you've got 16. I think. 12 and I feel like I've seen aces at 12 and 16. You said four and six. So the other two. Yep. Yep. I'm gonna go six. Uh, it's actually number four. Okay. So four is the huge bunker in the front and they can, it can play. I mean, it plays forever, but the, uh, the only ace ever was Jeff Sluman in 1992. He had a four iron from 213 yards Jeez. and, uh, ended up finishing T four that year to Freddie couples. So you've got uh, like is that just a hole that even is is tough to birdie or is it just like only very rare for the hole in one? It depends on the pin. Uh, I don't think it's the I don't think it plays as the toughest hole on the course. I think that's I think the toughest hole on the course is usually eleven. But if they've got, I'm trying to think of the pin position. I think back right is the is it's just there's like an upper shelf. It's really difficult to get it back up in there. Especially uh, when it's already a long, lower, longer yeah, it, par three. Yeah, it's really long. And it's kind of, it's it's tough. It's a tough green to hit. Um, it's not a tough green to hit. It's a tough green to be in the right position on. Gotcha. All right, uh, what you got? What are we on, seven, eight? Yeah, seven. Uh, what do you think is the most common cut number since the 1950s at Augusta. So this is a, this is a masters.com special. They, they've been keeping track of this since I think 1957. So cut number, even par would obviously be 144. What do you think has been the most common uh, cut number since 1957? 146. Uh, 146 is actually on the low end. 148 has been the most common. Kind of surprised me. Four over has been the most common cut number. We're, I, okay, so wait, did I just do that number right? 
I was looking for two over, right? Yeah, two two over is one forty six. Yeah. Okay. Um, I guess that's surprising. I thought I thought that it would be. I always imagine, especially after Friday, that there is such a large collection of players that are between two under and two over that mm-hmm. sometimes the the grouping there can just can keep the cut line much. Obviously, my expectations were that the cut line would be. Uh, closer to even par at that two over than to be further down. I suppose. I mean, it's, does the field get cut in clean half? Uh, it's. It used to be, I think, top forty-four. Announced. I think it's top fifty now. Plus ties. Plus ties. I, I think. I think we've done this thing with Augusta. So if you look at, I, I would imagine. I have no idea what the number is, but I would imagine a like a regular PGA Tour event. That 146, what you said, two overs are very, or even better, like 145 or 144 is is very common. And I think we've done this thing at Augusta where we're like, oh, guys can just dominate Augusta now. Like they can just blast it 320 yards and they can overpower the course. But it's still, and Patrick Reed talked about this on his teleconference last week, it's still a very... Like you have to be so precise into so many of these holes. And if you're not, you can make doubles, you can make triples. And that's what, that's what makes it, it's still, it's, st- it's like, it's almost like it's, e- it's both easy and really hard. That makes sense. At the same, at the same time, which is, which I think is awesome for a, for a course and for a tournament. And Andy Johnson of the fried egg talks about this all the time. It, it's a great uh, separator of who is playing the best golf because if you're super pers- if you're if you're even not precise for like two or three holes then you it's you know could be over mm. i mean sergio said that he's like i didn't miss a shot he's he goes this whenever he hit it in the water like 10 times on on uh, 15 he said i didn't miss that's the first 13 i've made without missing a shot which is a very like sergio, sergio thing yeah, to say but it's also you know, kind of true. Oh man, yeah. All right. Uh, what else? I'm waiting. I'm waiting for this. This boxing. Like, come on. Let's talk about this. Okay. Well, we'll do. Uh, we'll do. I'll, I'll double these up. So, as recently as 1960, the cost to get into the Masters for the entire week was twelve dollars and fifty cents. <laughs> what? Are, what is it in 2019? It's one hundred and six two thousand nineteen dollars uh, for the week. For the week. Well, not to mention the difficulty of actually getting the badges. So face that's True. one of those things where like face face value is one thing, but then there is a there is a amount of effort and energy and potentially money that you cannot put a price on in terms of obtaining them. Yeah, I think this year's badges are like three seventy five for the week, which is still like a joke. I mean in terms of, of best value you right, can have. Right. Uh, so another thing on ticket on uh, badge prices in the mid 1940s, this is from uh, Kurt Sampson's book called the masters, which is really good and really interesting and everybody should read it. Uh, in the mid 1940s, this was right after the war, after world war two, I think it was 1946 was their first tournament back. Uh, Cliff Robert, Clifford Roberts raised the, uh, ticket price from $3 to $5. And this is what uh, Kurt Sampson wrote about um, Roberts in his book. Said, as a member of the 
tournament's improvement committee, Byron Nelson, remembers the impassioned speech Cliff delivered when the subject of admission revenue came up. This is what Clifford Roberts said. We went to New York recently to watch Bo Jack fight. We had ringside seats just to watch to watch just two men fight. And here you've got a field of the best golfers in the world and the people are paying just $3 while we paid 50 for those ringside seats. That's ridiculous. I lo- that's the most 1940s American sporting event conversation ever. <laughs> as soon as I read that story, I was like, oh man, just, just <laughs> let me take a big deep breath so I can blow the dust off this reel to reel canister of facts. <laughs> oh, that's so good. Like that's that's like the NBA looking at the NFL's TV contract in the 2010s and being like, "What? Uh-uh. <laughs> nah, price is going up on the brick. Let's go." Uh yeah, that was great. I I love that book. It's a it's a must read for everybody. Kurt Sampson's The Masters. It's called uh Hold on, let me grab it. Yeah, I mean, his you you've got uh he he watched two men pummel each other. And then he's he it probably fancies the the game of golf a far more advanced sport. He was like, "Wait a second, this is like yeah, so it's, heavyweight fights without actually having the uh, the concussions." Yeah, and it lasts four days instead of four minutes. Right. Um, the book is called "The Masters: Golf, Money, and Power in Augusta, Georgia." Mm. It's fascinating. Uh, okay, so we're at, what are we on? Eight, nine? Yeah. Nine? You said we're doubling up, so we are on nine. Okay. Uh, the top five golfers currently in career scoring average at Augusta. So the, the minimum require or the minimum here is twenty five rounds. So you have to have played at least twenty five rounds. So no surprise, Tiger number one, seventy point five. Uh, Phil Mickelson number two, seventy one point two. Number three was surprising. Jason Day, 71.6. Then you got Rory at 71.8 and Justin Rose at 71.8. All right, let's talk about Jason Day real quick. Okay. Is is that indicative of uh, just sort of like where the space that Jason Day occupies, maybe not only at at the Masters, but just in, in the major championship conversation? That... Like there's a, there's a certain, I like guess is, is Jason Day, uh, health issues and WDs excluded and overlooked. Is Jason Day just a a really 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 high floor major championship golfer? Uh, I don't know. I, I honestly, I think it's more indicative because these numbers are so tight. I think it's I think it's also indicative of just. I would imagine the overall scoring average has dropped at Augusta over the last, um, you know, 20, 30, 50 years. Oh, and like we've, we've got all these players between 70.5 at Tiger and 71. I mean, that is that's one stroke. And all these players are, are ones who have won or at least ones that have been competing in the last 20 years. Well, and the other, yeah, and and so the other part of that is you have to factor in because guys play until they're like seventy, you have to count those those rounds. So younger players are going to be more likely to have lower averages. Yeah, and so it's almost like it, it's it's kind of a 
I don't love, I mean, it's a real stat, but I don't love it because it doesn't, I think even more crazy is that Jack Nicholas is like, is like just behind Rory, even though he played when he was, like I said, 58, 60, you know, whatever. He didn't play that long, but, and so maybe he's a bad example, but Jack Nicholas's scoring average, even with kind of the tail end is 71.9 and Rory is 71.8. Mm. Uh, which is, I think, pretty pretty incredible. Yeah, that's like a that that's also a situation where um, when I'm sometimes when we're ranking our uh, you you almost want to maybe take those stats in groups, right? Where yes. the, it, like a like a shooting percentage or a you know you uh, efficiency numbers or strokes gain numbers when the the difference between like a number a number 10 and a number 17 is not actually like seven individual spots as much as it is two hundredths of a decimal point or something right yeah totally um, um pretty nice top tier though yeah it's pretty good yeah there's so many you can just get lost on masters.com for so long uh i'm trying to find because they, they did they actually did break them into like age groups or not age but like by rounds played career scoring average here, here we go so 100 or more rounds jack nicholas is number one 71.98 fred couples is number two 72.02 always fred couples in the head-to-heads <laughs> yeah nicholas play has played 106 or he i guess he won't add to this but he's he played 163 rounds at augusta 40 what is that 41 full years for i mean just four decades of playing winning golf at augusta national and his career average is under par it's yeah. crazy insane it's crazy yeah uh if you t- if you take it down to 75 to 99 rounds it's tiger it's uh 70 and a half it's uh phil at 71.3 and then Hale Irwin at 70 at over par. So even Phil is like a stroke better than the next best. Wow. What's your expectation then, for Phil at the Masters? Uh, who knows? <laughs> I mean, I have no idea. He might try to like, he might try to swim the par three course. I don't know. Have you been watching his Twitter tips? It's it's kind of great. I feel like his Twitter account started off kind of, like trying too hard and now it's kind of it's kind of like it's kind of doing everything in jest like like tongue-in-cheek and it's pretty it's pretty awesome i've i've loved it i i only got tuned into it about uh maybe in the last like two weeks or so where he's like well missed two cuts in a row so we're doing a miscut tip tuesday (laughs) 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 and he's always out there in his flip-flops and uh you can see the like um you know, ATV style golf cart that's like pulled up right beside the green. And he's just out there showing you how to hit soft chip shots. Yeah, it's awesome. Showing off his calves. It's mm. great. By the way, it looks like uh, Masters.com just updated all their numbers recently. So all my numbers are off. Uh- <laughs> I mean, they're they're off by like a tenth of a decimal point. But, oh, okay. And it doesn't change the the order, but... If anybody's wondering, that's what happened. I, I was going to say, I thought that you were going to say that the last 36 minutes of stats were all off. No, no. By the way, uh, Ricky Fowler has a better scoring average than Dustin Johnson at Augusta. I believe it. It's crazy. Uh, okay, last one. Uh, let's see here. 
What should we go with? This is this is like dumb, but I love it and I want to see it this year. There's only been four there's only been four instances in which a player has shot the exact same score every day. That is dumb. Walter ha- Walter Hagen did it in 1939. Lou Worsham did it in 1954. Kenny Knox in 1987. George Archer did it in 1989. Okay, we'll do something different instead. No, 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 no. Dustin Johnson's the most likely to do it for sure. Uh, he's Wait, what? Four sixty eights? No, no, no. Four sixty nines. Nice. <laughs> uh, yeah. I, th- I, th- all right, I love this one. Uh, I like the fact that seventy percent. What, 57 of the first 82 Masters came down to a single stroke or went into a playoff 70% and 15 percentage points higher than a normal PGA Tour event. Is that just chalked up to the pressure? And shout out to Johnny Miller. Goodness gracious, I can't believe I'm pulling out a Johnny Miller hat here. But like, like, <laughs> like, can you attribute the fact that there are less runaway winners to the just atmosphere of augusta national the the quality of the field like the is is that really one of those um it's really really hard to win a major especially at augusta type things where the reason why it's always close is is because of the intensity of playing through especially like a saturday and a sunday i think so i i think that stat's even weirder because you have so many fewer um players in the field than you do at a regular event i mean yeah in a a normal event you have 100 like in the opens you have 156 players right i guess we're gonna have like 85 this year 84 maybe and so it makes that stat even crazier right i mean i know that like your bottom 60 aren't usually contending anyway right and that's and that's mostly who you're excluding here but it still is i don't know it still makes it pretty pretty intriguing like it, it the the way everything sets up on the course with the like where the holes are and um it's just and, and the way that you have to like win a Masters where a leader has to feel like they're playing defense and and you're you're hearing the roars all over the course like I just I think that all of the things that make um the Masters memorable as an experience to go and be there or the reason why so many fans love to watch it every year even if like for so many fans the masters is one of the only golf tournaments that they'll watch all yeah. year and and yeah. i think that there's there's something either it, maybe it's the course or, or the it's intangible perhaps but the fact that it almost always is close coming down the stretch uh, i think that's really cool yeah i do too and and we've seen it i mean we saw it with reed last year we saw it with sergio and rose the year before that uh you know, before that we had Willard and Spieth as kind of runaways. Um, but yeah, it's been, it's just, there's nothing like it. You know, I, t- I tell people all the time, you know, Thursday, Friday is really, really fun to go to. And if it's your first time, like maybe that's what you should do because it's, it's just, it's the best experience. But Sunday from like, I don't know, two thirty to six is, it's it's almost like an out of body experience, an out of mind experience. Like there's just nothing that there's nothing I've experienced that feels and sounds and um, just heightens your senses like that three and a half hour period does. What happens at Augusta? Like, uh, like do you on Sunday? Are you trying to stay ahead, or are you just like 
running and trying to find like sight lines, like swinging from trees, trying to figure out a way to see something. That's actually frowned upon usually at Augusta. But um, I, it's hard because so last year we were in a group. I think it was, I know it was me, I think uh, Kevin Van Valkenburg and Brandon Porath. And it's like, okay, we're going to go all 18 with Rory and Reed. This is going to be a heavyweight fight. You know, all the, all the stupid cliches. And then Spieth goes out in 31 and you're like, oh crap, like I got to go, like, should we go over there? Like, is he going to shoot 60? Like what's, what's about to happen? And so you, you have to, you have to figure out like what you feel like the story is going to be. So we, we flipped over to Spieth and, but then he like, he, he doesn't birdie 17 and you're like, well, 62, 61's out of, whatever, whatever the numbers were. And so you're like, well, should we go back with Rory and Reed? So you're kind of just, you're picking and choosing based on the leaderboards. And it gets tough because you don't, but especially later, when it gets. Yeah, like later in the afternoon, the whole course bottlenecks. Like, I mean, yeah. there's, there, there are, once the leaders pass through a hole, that hole is not being played again. And yeah. therefore, like, uh, patrons have no reason to, to stick around. So they're either leaving the property or they're just going to continue to, to fight the flood of fans. Yeah, and they're not leaving the property. So. <laughs> right. That's what I was thinking is is like when when you do have that, I guess when you've got like maybe in that like five, like 4.30 turns to five o'clock and like the, the other holes are starting to just like, they're totally vacant. It's like everyone is just packed in to the, the final six or seven holes. How, 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 do, do you get ahead of it or do you just pray that you can find a, a spot to wiggle in? Uh that's the hard part about Augusta because you can't get between the ropes even as like all these other tournaments media can just walk with the players or whatever so I I try to just wriggle in and you you kind of know the good spots like you know where to go on 15 you know sort of where to go on 16 it's it's tough because there's so many people there I actually would argue that like the last hour on on TV is I guess maybe the most fun or whatever I would argue that it's like the three o'clock hour that's the most fun because that's when everybody's on the on the last nine holes, right? And like everything's kind of still in play, but then when the leaders get to get through sixteen, you're like, oh, well, there's only like two outcomes here, you know. So it's not as. I mean, at that point, you might as well start working your way back to the media center. Yeah, yeah, and that's sort of what I did last year with Reed, and I sort I, I kind of saw the final putt, like I like glanced at it as I was walking to the media center. And it's impossible to to see anything on eighteen. I think this year I'm going to try to be up more like by the clubhouse just to see reaction from you know whoever players, uh, you know Augusta National member, whatever. I, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. Ricky there. Fowler before he comes out to give a handshake to the winner. <laughs> what what if Ricky wins? I'm happy. Who, I'd be I'd who, I'd be totally cool with it. Okay, so this is a column I want to write. I don't know if I'm going to get to, but who's which star does a Masters win change their story the most? Like, who does it mean the most to? Rory. Yeah, that's 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 right, isn't it? Player the moment, and if he wins it, completes the slam. He just he shoots off into another like the and it it doesn't matter if his you know the the talent level and the like the other golfers that matter do still very much matter, but just where he's at right now, the like support that's been drumming up. If he, if he wins it and puts on that green jacket again, that doesn't mean that he is better 
than the other golfers that we like to talk about in that top group. But in terms of his his star power and just sort of the way that it changed the changes the narrative and the way he's talked about, it's a game changer. I was reading an article today about is this the best era ever for Euros, and it, the, it was it was a good article. It was interesting, but I was reminded that if he wins another major, it's only him, Faldo with six and Seve with five that have five or more majors from the from the Europeans. Yeah, I mean, I just I think he becomes and and probably also the the great point there in terms of just the global draw of Rory McIlroy and his yeah. star power. Like Ricky Ricky's win would uh would be an affirmation and have a greater celebration certainly among the the PGA Tour and the United States golf fans. It, you know, the the people, the kids who've been dressing like Ricky for eight or nine years and shoot, maybe even longer at this point, like that, that is something that that would be fun and, and be a, a joyous occasion throughout the, the greater golf fans, at least as I've experienced them. But in terms of like really change, that's, that's like the, that's like Tony Bennett making Ricky, Ricky Fowler, um, Ricky Fowler getting to winning the masters is like Tony Bennett, just even getting to the final four. It just sort of erases all the non narratives. Rory winning the masters, completing the slam just sort of puts it, puts him on a, like a rocket ship shoots him off into somewhere else. I think somewhere else. I think Rory, Ricky and tiger are probably your top three there. I think, you know who, who else I think is up there? I think it's uh well I think Kepka's up there. And then I think I think Bryson's up there. I'll I'll ride with you on Bryson. I totally agree on Kepka. I'm more skeptical about Bryson, but I think that part of that is also uh biased and shaded by a fact that I'm in a little bit of a fade Bryson position from my picks <laughs> and my analysis for this uh this tournament. You know who I think it means the least or would mean the least to you? Not personally, but just the way that we think about their legacy. Patrick Reed? <laughs> no. Uh, Phil. Yeah, I agree. I don't I don't think anybody knows how many green jackets Phil has. It's two. Like, I think, or is it three? It's three. It's three. Exactly. That's okay. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You, you follow golf and, and, and like you don't and, – and it's like it, it, they've all just kind of been melded together. Right. Like it – which is weird. Like, it's very strange. Like, everybody knows that, you know, Tiger has four and uh, Jack has six and, you know, whatever. But we're like, ah, how many times has Phil won this thing? I don't think that winning would, even even though winning would take him off of uh, the, that, we, that comparison we keep coming back to where it's like uh, so-and-so has as many majors as Dustin Johnson. I don't know if Dustin Johnson winning the Masters greatly changes the conversation around Dustin Johnson. Yeah, I, I do think the leap from – I'm trying to think of who has – like who's somebody who has two majors right now. I think the leap from two to three is is a is a bigger deal than one to two. Because, I mean, you look at like um, – I don't know. Who, who has two right now? Who's somebody that – I can't think of anybody. Justin Rose has one. Sergio's got one. Kevka going from three to four with a Masters and two U.S. Opens would be that'd be pretty crazy. That would be crazy. That would be wild. If we could get Kepka against Rory head to head final pairing on mm. Sunday, 
that that would be and and maybe the end result if it was an epic battle is that both of them end up just getting shot off into the rest of the major championship season with this like awesome back and forth but i i would say that kepka might be also in that position of like guys are we are we sure that we're handling kepka the right way <laughs> by the way i can't think of any any golfer that has two majors all right. I, like I, I just uh, DJ's got one, Rose has one, Kepka's got three, Rory's got four, JT's got one. I mean, Francesca's. It's, be, it's because the the list of two is. I mean, Zach Johnson. Oh uh, yeah, there we go. Zach Johnson, Martin Keimer, Bubba Watson. Well, Bubba's got. Oh uh, yeah, Bubba's only got two. He's only got two. But yeah. then the rest of them are. Uh, I mean, you know, like Greg Norman, Ben Crenshaw. Curtis Strange, on hell, on hell, Cabrera, on hell, Cabrera. Yeah, I mean, uh, I don't. If Bubba, if Bubba won, I don't know if it would change the way we talk about him. No, but I, I think that would be like a, an impressive jump, a two to three jump. So, so 40, 46 guys have won three, including Kepka and Spieth. Uh, Twenty eight have won four, including Rory. And Ernie Els, and that's pretty much it from contemporaries. Uh, Nineteen guys have won five, including Phil and Seve. Then it gets crazy. Uh, Thirteen guys have won six, including Faldo and Trevino, uh, and only eleven guys have won seven or more. And the list so, outside so, of who is Harry Varden. Yeah, it was like the 1890s. So it's, it's Jack, Tiger, Walter Hagen, Hogan, Player, Watson, Harry Varden, Bobby Jones, Gene Sarazen, Sam Snead, and Arnold Palmer. You could make the case that outside of, if you take Varden out of it, that that's your top 10 golfers of all time. Yeah. I wouldn't make that case, but I think you could make it. Right. Mm. And so you start you start talking about get, like, you know, I think that's the signif- that that's more the significance for Phil and even Rory, I mean, yeah, the the slam, of course, but also like historically, like can he get to the seven club? Because the seven club is, I mean, it's only eleven guys ever since the eighteen nineties. I mean, that's that's crazy. Over under Rory McIlroy major championships one end of career six and a half. I mean, I I think I go under. Mm-hmm. It's just it's it's so hard to win him, and he's only got what. 35 left 40 i mean is he gonna is he gonna be like super competitive when he's 42 maybe i don't know no way i don't i don't think so he's gonna have he's gonna have his own media network (laughs) our podcast is gonna be hosted on it that's fine that's cool (laughs) call me let's go roars come on oh yeah i'm ready i'm fired up i'm gonna add to my facts list and we'll be ready to go he is Kyle Porter. You can follow him on Twitter at Kyle Porter CBS. You can follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. Kyle, thank you very much. Thanks, Chip.